Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 151, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, Dr. Fauci says the idea of a COVID-19 treatment that will make teachers and students feel safe before the start of the fall school year is not likely. And the CDC issues guidelines for reopening schools. We'll discuss. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, how teachers can approach children that are dealing with trauma outside of school. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here. Today is May the 15th, and we're joined by our multi-hat-wearing principal, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I'm exhausted today. I bet, I bet you are. I say multi-hat wearing because I've kind of teased this a little bit. You you are wrapping up, um, while we're going through all the COVID-19 challenges that we have, you're wrapping up work with one school district, and you're in the middle of switching to be a principal at another district, um, which is yes. just down the road. So, I mean, it, it, I don't want to go too much down the rabbit hole with this, but I mean, how has that been for you? Have you been surviving this? Um, it has me very stretched, but you know, it's a great opportunity. Um, I'm going from one, um, difficult situation that we turned around and walking into another difficult situation that is going to require, um, some of the same, uh, attributes of basically being a turnaround principal. And so it's really tiring. Um, I feel as if I'm on my computer way more than normal, but yet I'm also physically reporting um, to my current school. We are still doing meal delivery and academic um, packet preparation, but then I am assisting the assistant principals at my new school with closeout and preparation for summer enrichment and planning for next fall. So it's um, today... I'm 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 still good. I'm not going to be negative in any way, but I am exhausted. I mean, I don't know if you can put quantify this with percentages, but the idea of of turning around the school is normally a hundred percent of your priority, right? You know, like that that is going to be you know your number one focus going into a new school year in a new school that that needs your help. But now you're juggling. COVID-19 challenges. Do we open? How do we open? What does this look like? I mean, how much, I guess, percentage-wise do you think is uh, is the COVID crisis going to take out of you to where you can't focus on, you know, turning the school around? Um, I still don't have a choice um, but to exert as much energy and focus on turning the school around. It's just going to require different strategies. And because none of us has ever been through this, it's going to take um, deeper thinking, a lot more collaboration, not just within the school district, but communicating with administrators, administrators across the nation. Because whether it's a turnaround situation or a high performing school that can, you know, traditionally just carry on, um, we are all going to have to think outside of the box to make sure we're giving every child what they need while keeping everybody safe. The last episode that we recorded um, the same day. Dr. Fauci was testifying uh, before the Senate 
Um, and right. he was asked by Senator Lamar Alexander, I believe he's out of Tennessee, and he said, Doctor, let's look down the road three months. There will be about 5,000 campuses across the country trying to welcome 20 million college students, 100,000 public schools welcoming 50 million students. And he says, what would you say to the chancellor of the University of Tennessee in Knoxville or a principal at a public school system about how to persuade parents and students to return to school in, in August? And Fauci uh, responded that, there really isn't a great answer right now. That the idea of having treatments available or a vaccine to facilitate the re-entry of students into the fall term would be something that would be a bit of a bridge too far. As I mentioned, the drug that has shown some degree of, uh, of efficacy was modest and it was in hospitalized patients, not yet or maybe ever to be used either yet as prophylaxis or treatment. So if the issue is that the young individuals who will be going back to school would like to have some comfort and that there's a treatment, probably the thing that would be closest to utilization then would likely be passive transfer of convalescent serum. But we're really not talking about necessarily treating a student who gets ill, but how the student will feel safe in going back to school. If this were a situation where we had a vaccine, that would really be the end of that issue in a positive way. But as I mentioned in my opening remarks, even at the top speed we're going, we don't see a vaccine playing in the ability of individuals to get back to school this term. What they really want is to know if they are safe. And that's the question that I have to be due with what we discussed earlier about testing. And yes. so that to me was a big statement from our leading scientist when it comes to the coronavirus. That it's a big statement, Nick, but it's honesty and transparency. It, absolutely. It, and it's also a reality check that we may not go back to school in the fall. Am I, am I being extreme by saying that? No, you are not being extreme. It is realistic to think for sure August is going to be out of the question. Andrew Cuomo, the the governor of New York, asked the same question by a reporter, you know, will we be going back to school in the fall? And he was unable to say yes. And he's like, I know these districts need a plan. But at this point, he's like, I'm still trying to focus on June. And and again, well, not only that, we have to worry about the resurgence. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. What what could take place? We might be okay in August or September, but what could happen in October, November, December? Um, and well, so, yeah. Check the current numbers. There's a lot of states that have been, you know, whether they're doing a rollback or a full scale reopening, um, a lot of large areas are seeing triple increases in um, reported cases and or deaths. So I don't know if we've hit the second wave yet. And what if that second wave begins to hit right around that in July, beginning of August, as all of these states, um, you know, are focused on completely opening back up and getting the economy going. And I understand that purpose. I mean, there are 34 million people out of work right now. So it's it's a it's a great economic tragedy that you know COVID has created, and we do need to make sure we can repair our economy. But at the same time, I'm extremely concerned about returning to school and what that is going to look like. I was reading um, on Twitter actually just this morning, um, and many teachers are, are are questioning what parameters are going to be put in place to keep them safe. And you know if if it doesn't appear that 
the government is all on one page. It makes everything appear to be a little unstable and it's scary. It's scary because as a teacher, let's just say you have a spouse who works remotely, but you're a teacher and you're going to need to go. And, and I guess, you know, that um, is my life. Right that, now. that is your life. Right. And so you already have the concern of bringing this back home, not just you getting sick, but been bringing it back into your house, That's um, right. which is, which is definitely, you know, worrisome. And I, I know the CDC offered some guidelines this morning and, and it's too much to kind of like try to go into it, but I'm going to take it. Right the infographic that that they put out now I'll, I'll put it in the show notes but i'm guessing by the time you know this hits in a few days that infographic will have been spread pretty widely but either, either which way if you can't find it it'll You'll be give a, it an hour yeah right and um but but their their guidelines i mean they seem some of them seem achievable but then there's some things in there which i don't know are achievable and it's one of those infographics where it's like if you can do this this and this go on and see if you can do this 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 and this and if you can do this 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 and this and if you can't do any of these things as we're going along, then don't open, right? And, and well, so, there's also a key word in there, do what's feasible. What does that mean? Exactly. And so that's the, that's the one I saw. And I'll read that one specifically. It says, develop and implement procedures to check for signs and symptoms of students and employees daily upon arrival as feasible, right? And so, I mean, to me, what's what should happen when they say that is everyone should be have their temperature taken, right? Or maybe you could put in like infrared cameras, right. but that's expensive. Um, okay, well, how many schools have nurse? actually assigned to their school full time. Right. And what is realistic? I mean, you have one covering two schools, three schools. I mean, what what do you see? Schools with 2,500 students and over 100 certified staff members, let's not even talk about the classified. How are you going to handle that and getting everybody in the building and feeding breakfast and getting the day started on time? There's a lot to discuss here. And then in the CDC guidelines, plan for if students or employees get sick. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what? Oh, well, then you're going to hire a sub that you do not know. You don't know their background. Right. <laughs> and so you're going to then bring somebody else into the, you know, safe zone. The The most important one to me is, and this is what I don't know if it's in place yet, because and I'll say this, the, the idea of us going in shelter in place for what we do, eight weeks, basically, is when, when the country yes. was finally like, I'm done, at least part of us. Um, and the whole idea of doing that. I 100% agree with, but I thought during the, those eight weeks, they were going to be able to increase testing and then put in some sort of contact tracing elements. And that's the biggest issue is that so, so many people don't have access to testing. And then, and I'm sorry, I have to do this dig. And then there are certain people that are able to be tested every day. Right, exactly. So it says you, the school districts on the CDC thing be ready to consult with the local health authorities if there are cases in the facility or an increase in cases in the local area. And and I know you're not a superintendent, um, so maybe yeah. your superintendent of either your your previous district or the one you're headed to may have heard something that we don't know yet. So so enlighten me if I'm missing out here, but. Are the districts already communicating, let's just say, with the um, Department of Health for the state saying, and it is the Department of Health saying, if you have cases in the fall of 2020, we will be there with tests within 24 hours to your school. I haven't heard anything of that nature, but I will say that the state superintendent, Dr. Carrie Wright, is, you know, communicating quite a bit. She is holding um, ongoing meetings with superintendents. So there's a lot of information being transferred. Um, superintendents are then sharing the things they need to share with um, district and building level administrators. But we, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I've seen a lot of other stories out there that kind of, you know, offer 
different plans and stuff like Maryland apparently has a I believe it's a 54 page re- recovery plan for education. Um, I will link wow. to an article there. So so that's good. That's in detail. But here's some of the highlights. What that tells me, though, is that they didn't wait. You know, they're, they're not sitting around waiting on someone to try and advise them. They already brought, um, you know, and had the meeting of the mind and in, 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 in trying to put something in place. Look, I, I don't I'm not I don't live in Maryland. I don't know Maryland that well. But everything I've seen from Governor Larry Hogan out of Maryland has been very impressive. Uh, this is the the gentleman whose wife um, is South Korean and she helped negotiate the I think uh-huh. it was was it like five million mask or it was something incredible yes. like that um, from South Korea. I mean, he he has been a leader in this and to see that they already have this 54 uh, page plan in place that they're willing to share with other other districts and states in it though some of the things that they say is going to be like the new normal is mandatory mask which you and i talked about that that probably is going to be the case and, and and what what's your take on that i mean how disruptive is it for a teacher to try to teach with a mask on to a classroom i think it will be difficult for the teacher but one of the things that you know i actually had a teacher this year who had some surgery that impacted her mm-hmm. her vocal cords and she wore this really handy device there's a headset with a mic extended at the very end and then the eclipse on the back of her almost like um she's you know on television and so when she was on um duty in the main hallway in order for the students to hear her saying good morning or whatever directive she needed to give them she wore that every morning because she could not raise her voice at all she's had basically gone down to a whisper and it was extremely effective. So that's an idea that already crossed my mind. Okay, we can't truly understand everything that someone is saying under a mask um, from further than six feet away. So right. imagine sitting in the back of a classroom and a lot of children watch your mouth. They watch your body language. All of those things play um, into following instruction. So we may have to purchase devices like that for teachers to project their voices. Yeah, and the sad thing about a mask too, and I know this seems... You can't see the beautiful smile. That's what I was going to say. Like I'll go around somewhere and I'm walking through a store and I'll smile at somebody and you can kind of see a smile through eyes, yeah. but but it's not the same, you know? And that it's just like, what are we missing there? important things in a classroom um, that helps a child to feel safe and loved and encouraged to, to learn is the smile from a teacher. Or yeah. principal. Also in Maryland's plan, they have daily temperature checks, um, enhanced more frequent uh, cleaning procedures and sanitation methods, yes. um, enforced social distancing, especially for elementary students in areas like playgrounds. Yes. Now this, uh, tell me you saw this picture uh, this week. Did you see the, the photograph out of France where they were bringing the kindergartners back to school? Yes. Where And so they basically they have the, these, they're outside and they have these squares and it's like it's, each child so sad. is spaced apart. I know it's, it's devastating that the, the idea to think that these kids are like, you, you play in this square and you play in this square over here and you stand on this X and you stand on this X over here. How lonely. <laughs> so lonely. And, it, and, lonely. and, and I mean, I've never, I was brought through public school my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. Homeschool has just never really been a thing in my mind. But I mean, I have a five-year-old who's headed to kindergarten. And the idea of sending a five-year-old to kindergarten that's going to have to stand in a square is All that- by herself. And, you know, one of the great debates is keeping play in kindergarten not taking away that social interaction before COVID that was resurging as well. Just the big conversation about, you know, children in elementary schools need more time to play that helps with focusing and thinking, burning off, you know, that extra energy, social, emotional supports. And now we're, 
there's no argument for it because we're saying put them in a square, six feet apart. How do you play all of the different games that we played growing up that required hand clapping or, you know, ring around the rosy, duck, duck, goose? I, I, I still play those games with my students at my current school. I, I mean, did. I mean, what would you do if you had a child headed into kindergarten? Would you would you consider homeschooling that child? Would you take that seriously into consideration? And that's a hard question to answer, seeing as how I'm still at the height of my career. As right. An it's tough. It's, it's how do you pull that off? Right. Um, I would have to end my career in order to homeschool right. um, a kindergarten student. I I just don't know what I would do. That's just such a hard decision to make because I am a huge supporter, obviously, of public schools. Right. Uh, me, me as well. But it's just the, the idea of what we're going to in the fall of 2020 is it's becoming a reality that things will not be back to normal. And, and it's going to be a tough transition. Uh, yeah. It's going to be tough for a, a lot of families. And, and I will and say teachers. this, though, Nick. Um, if I homeschooled my child, I look at it this way. Um, that's even less interactions. So you see mommy right. every day. We're getting our lesson in. You get some hugs from me, but you don't get to meet any new kids. You don't get to get exposed to other cultures, languages, um, just so many things. And your memories are then stunted as well because you don't have that that school experience. Right. And I, I'd have to weigh... Um, the new measures being put in place, which takes away a lot of interaction with children versus realistically zero interaction with children being in homeschool. Yeah, I agree. Now, with if you, I had three or four children, you know, in, in elementary school age, they would get to play with one another. But my right. question about that is then what happens when they get an opportunity to go to college or into the workforce? They don't know how to interact with other people. Right. And I do, I know those kids, too. I know kids that have, have been raised that way, and, and they do take a little longer to socially. And it's a shock to yeah. them. Right. Absolutely. Um, I've seen a couple other ideas floated. Um, and tell me if you guys have discussed this even in any of your worlds. Saturday classes as a way to like make up lost time. Is anybody talking about that? Absolutely not. Okay. Um, any, anything else that's kind of been like, the, the, I've seen some of these guidelines that say, you know, smaller class sizes and space kids apart. Th- that that creates two problems in reality, right? One is, do we have the space? And two, do we have the teachers? We don't have the space or the teachers. So that's when the new conversations um, develop about, are we going to have sliding school? Will we have a rotating schedule? Will we shift to year round where perhaps this many children will go to school for, say, four to six weeks and then we swap to the other children? Or do we do a Monday, Wednesday for, you know, split the student body in half, do a Monday, Wednesday for the first half, Tuesday, Thursday for the second half, use Fridays for special interventions or teacher staff development, lesson planning. There's so many ideas out there on the table right now, but you still can't develop a plan without further guidance from your state department of education, as well as the department of health. What does the extracurriculars look like in 2020 to you? I know talking about music, art, PE. Oh my goodness. Those just aren't classes you can have with spreading children apart or splitting them in half. How do you practice um, as a choir with half of your sopranos missing. Right. Or, or even the idea, I mean, we did hear that one that one outbreak that took place in a church where people were singing. And I, I think they That's believe right. it, a lot of that has to do with being in an enclosed area and people right. projecting. And when you're, when you're, the louder you're speaking, the more things are spreading. Or do you sing with mask on? Which again, you know, how do you do that? Uh, I don't think you can do that with, with the mask. I think that was greatly impact, um, 
choirs and singing. In regard to PE, that's really no different than grade level content classes. If we have a school, you know, with 50% of the student population, then that in course is going to cut your activity classes in half. But thinking about high school extracurricular activities. Well, there's a lot of discussion going on. I will say in our state right now, um, they've put together a special task force under MHSAA, and they are having conversations about if and when facilities open up, what the extracurricular um, practices and activities will look like. I'd also like to point out that um, many of the recreational um, programs and teams are having conversations about returning to practices um, as early as June 1st. Are the administrators starting to say, all right, well, we're not going to have these items because we just we can't for the reasons we just discussed, but we do need more teachers to fill in when a teacher gets sick or we need more teachers to help because we need to reduce class size. Do you, do you think some of those teachers will be used in other ways? Um, absolutely. They're, they're going to be on contract. So they will be required to help assist in, in, in any way possible because our contract says any duty assigned. So that's so, one of the last statements in our contracts. So, and at this point you don't see, you know, our district's talking about eliminating teachers at this point, or is that not even no, a thing? Yeah. No, nobody's talking about eliminating teachers unless they're in a budget crisis. Right. Um, I would like to point out that our auxiliary teachers, you know, music teachers, PE teachers, art teachers or whatnot, they have already... Um, from my experience, played integral roles in helping with interventions and doing um, small group instruction and, and pull out. So they've already um, been held accountable for school accountability and growth. Um, so I don't see it being an issue if they are unable to have those types of classes um, assigning them smaller groups of children to work with. I mean, I think that all teachers are committed um to, you know, to their contracts and to serving kids. Uh, again, uh, Christina, I appreciate so much your insight and uh, in trying to shed some light on all of this because uh, I know we've been focusing a lot on what 2020 is going to look like, but it appears to be a very um, fast evolving, uh, moving goalpost or however you want to look at it type, type situation. So uh, we will continue to kind of keep up with any stories that develop in the world of what's fall 2020 is going to look like and kind of report it here on the Class Dismissed podcast. Now, I mentioned in the last episode, we were going to do something special because somewhere in early March, we had recorded an episode for mid-March. It was actually going to air during spring break. And and I was going to be at Disney World and you were going to be hanging out with your family. And then everything shut down and none of that happened. And, and so I had this episode where you and I, we, we talked about restorative practices in the classroom and and you you're a natural for sure and you have so much insight on this and and I just loved what you had to say about it. Um and and I felt like wow, that, that's so good. I can't wait to air the show. Well, then the COVID-19 crisis hit and it just didn't fit. It changed our direction. Yeah, it that's changed right. our direction. And I felt weird not discussing COVID-19, even though I had this great recording with you about uh, restorative practices. So I refuse to let that that content not ever see the light of day. So I'm going to take that out of the show and we're going to put it in our bright idea this week, uh, just so people can kind of hear your insight on restorative practices. Oh, are you comfortable awesome. with that? You're good with that, right? I am. All right. Indeed. All right, good. So uh, are you ready for the bright idea, Christina? Who is Oh, most certainly now. <laughs> All right. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is our own Christina Pollard, who's going to take us on a deep dive on how educators can help children that are dealing with trauma outside of school and why restorative practices in such situations is a crucial tool for helping those students. Absolutely. You know, um, 
If you look at research, many schools that are high poverty inner city, um, there are a lot more problems that they're facing than just, you know, low performance or, you know, struggling academics. A lot of those children come to school every single day with so much baggage. Right. And depending on where you're from, when you teach in schools like that, there can be a major disconnect. Right. Um, and so in my experiences, I have found that a lot of those children come with a lot of um, social emotional issues. And if they're not addressed, then they manifest into inappropriate behavior. Let me stop you real quick. When you say disconnect, do you mean disconnect from teacher to student? Like yes. the teachers don't know where those kids come from. Yes. And even with principals, I mean, depending on where you're from, and I'm just going to give you like a far-fetched example. If I'm from Bel Air right. and then I decide to go and teach in inner city Chicago, okay, disconnect. Right. Because I don't understand poverty. I don't understand what it's like to be to be hungry, mm-hmm. for a parent to be incarcerated on drugs or not home, to be raised by a grandparent. Or, I come or with have some, a parent gone all night because they're working. Yes, um, two um, and three jobs yeah, just yeah. to provide. And you're, so then you're getting you're, your little brother up. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's just there, there can be a disconnect and it doesn't matter, um, you know, race, sex, cultures. It's just it can be. Um, so, you know, there's some things we do to try to help with that, like taking our teachers on a bus ride at the very beginning of the year so they can actually understand where their children are living and just wow. to talk about some of the circumstances. I've never heard of doing that. So oh, like, absolutely. You do that with your teachers. Yes. Like, like you guys will go on a bus ride and say like, you know, these are the areas that your, your kids I are I need them from. to see where their children are living and to really understand why they come to school the way that they do. What, what's the reaction you've gotten from that? Like, I mean, have you... Some are any? just completely taken away and right. they're at a loss of words. Yeah, I bet. Um, then there are others who come from similar backgrounds that are not shocked right. and already can start formulating ideas on how to connect with those children and they you know, fall in love with them and they want to do everything they can to help them be successful. And I want to say that all teachers are in it clearly mm-hmm. for the children. We're not in it for salaries. But if you don't understand how to reach a child, your intellect and your strong content knowledge will mean nothing. Christina, I got to say, like, I'm really, I've never... We've been doing the show for a few years. I've never heard of any principal busing their teachers into the neighborhoods that their schools are. I think that's brilliant. Like, I'm not the only one. I mean, there's plenty of principals out there that do that do it. It's not a new idea. But I just know when you serve in areas like that, you know, and I make the comment to them, think about when you leave home, leave schools today, you're going home to, um, you know, a really nice apartment or a brick home with central air and heat. Your refrigerator has food in it. Even if you're not, you know, going out to steak dinner and you might be living check to check as a teacher, but you know where your next meal is coming from. You have gas in your car. You can go do your laundry. You can huddle up, you know, with a blanket and watch your cable network. Right. Well, we have children that are sleeping on the floor that don't have windows. There's, you know, plywood up and we don't know what they're eating. They don't have a regular meal, dinner time at five and homework at six and bedtime at eight thirty. Right. Those little things that we take for granted um, are really missing for a lot of children. Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest, like when I, I grew up in an area that was affluent up in Northern Virginia, I did live near Washington, DC, where of course you have some inner city poverty that takes place there, but I still was sheltered from it. And when I moved down South here, I went to a university. Um, and then it was when I started reporting for the local news, mm-hmm. that's when I really like, I mean, here I am in my twenties. That was the first time I was subjected to, uh, it's it's not necessarily inner city poverty mm-hmm. as much as it is suburban or even rural poverty right. that you and they're very different culturally. Yeah. Right, it is, it is, and um, I, I wish I was subjected to it earlier. Um, so I, I can completely understand a teacher coming out of college 
and not have ever seen that. But yet they're still working in a school district where they're serving kids that live that. And it makes it difficult for school administrators because if you follow the discipline ladder or the board policy for your district, clearly um, initial um, inappropriate behavior should be handled by the teacher in the classroom. You call a parent, you follow your classroom management system. But then at a certain point, particular behaviors, children are sent out of the classroom to see the building principal. And sometimes we issue consequences or none at all. And that is infuriating and upsetting to teachers. But what we get to do is to really talk to the child and get to the root of their issue. If they can't read, if they're embarrassed to talk because they have a speech impediment, Mm -hmm. if their parents or mom and her boyfriends or whatnot have been physically fighting at night and they were terrified all night long and they're mad at the world, especially my, my boys, um, have a lot of aggression. There's something behind that. And we have to make decisions that are best for children, not just what the policy says. Um, at the end of the day, it's always at the discretion of a principal. And so, you know, there's a story right now that talks about a principal in New Orleans and how she truly, being from New Orleans, understands that a lot of these children are exposed to um, gang violence, drugs, um, you know, murder, incarcerated parents that are suddenly taken away from them. And, you know, to come to school and you want me to do reading, writing, math and, you know, walk in lines and follow all of these rigid rules. And I haven't been held. I haven't been hugged. I haven't been told that I'm I'm loved. I haven't been told that I can succeed, that I will overcome this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just love her approach to focusing on the whole child, um, addressing their social emotional needs, having every in the morning, they address it with a particular curriculum that helps children understand the importance of talking about things that are bothering them. Um, you know, getting in touch with their feelings, finding their talents and excelling through their talents, such as if you like to write, get in a corner over there and write yourself a poem and get your feelings off of your chest, because if not, then it's it stews inside of them. And that's why they're explosive. And so you have to have a different skill set. You have to have a completely different mindset to serve in these types of schools. The takeaway for me, if I, if I was being pushed into being an administrator in a school um, is it's not, these are the rules and here's the discipline. It's definitely not. If you're that that, rigid, you won't succeed. Right. And so you have to ask, you know, why did you break this rule? And and at least get to the root. Maybe you don't even ask that directly. I guess if you have, if you have a student in your office who did something bad, I mean, like deserves serious discipline, where do you start with that conversation? Again, it goes back to relationships. If you don't know the students, say it's the beginning of the year and you don't know them, you still can say, baby, talk to me. I want to understand why you chose this. Because at the end of the day, it's still a decision. Right. Okay. Why did you choose to say this? Why did you choose to react this way? What happened earlier? What prompted that? You know, just help them kind of unpeel. They get nervous. You give them a, a, a squeezy ball. Let them do something with their hands and they'll start talking. Right. Um, and if you have really good relationships with them, you know, they don't want to disappoint you. So oftentimes they'll come right on out and tell you what's going on. I'm, I've had a fight with my mom this morning. I'm frustrated. You know, I don't have this and that and the other. And that teacher just kept on badgering me and calling my name. I'm sick of her. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So your anger is not with Miss Pollard. Your anger is with mom. So let's talk about that and how to handle that. Who do you think you owe an apology to? And bring them full circle to see how we need to respond differently. Right. Come on out off the gate and say, hey, Miss Pollard, I'm not having a good morning today. I'm telling you now this happened to me. I don't want to be disrespectful to you or nothing, but I'm just not in the mood to talk. I can work with you on that. You know, you think about teenagers. Now, little ones, they don't know to say that. They're right. either crying or they're just, you know, in they're the floor. Scared, right? Yep. And now and, they're in the principal's office. Yep. And you got to say, you know, you got to bring your voice down. 
You got to get down to their height or sit in a chair opposite of them, not across yeah. from the desk because it's intimidating side by side, maybe at your little conference table and just chat with them and then explain to them that if you're going to give them another opportunity, why, what your expectations are, or even after having a breakthrough conversation and you know, you've got to issue a consequence, they respect you. It's just like punishing your children. They know you love them. Yeah. And so, and that's where it's got to be difficult though. Cause in a way you're, you're a judge. I mean, and you're, mm-hmm. you're measuring the problems that this child may have, you're measuring their remorse, I guess, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And and you have to decide, do I give what would normally be the normal discipline for that action? Or do I need to pull back because of all these other, like, how do you make those decisions? Yeah, but, but you also have to be in tune to classroom management. If a teacher is not running a well-oiled machine in their classroom and children are all over the place, but yet she says Nick was out of order, right. but you can observe that everyone is out of order. So then now you have to have a personnel conversation. You've got to put some supports in place for that teacher, a model for that teacher, put a system in place. But even doing that, one size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. And that's really what this story point talked about and what this principal in New Orleans wanted all of her teachers to understand is that we can have a positive behavior system in place. We can have rewards, consequences, all of those things in place. But every child, every decision is situational. Mm-hmm. Within board policy, but it's situational. Do you ever get any pushback when from a from that rigid teacher who says yes. no, it's not? Yes. You know, and, and how do you respond to that? I've been told that I don't handle discipline fairly. That right. you know, particularly, I'll tell you, you know, this this school year, I've had teachers to say that I did seventh grade is a nightmare, and we're not doing anything about it. But if all you do is bark at children, right. You can't get an understanding because when I come down that sidewalk, I mean, I'm five foot three. Think about it. I'm not this big monster. I come down that sidewalk and they'll quiet down. They do the right thing because the respect and the relationship has been established and it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And I can pull a child to the side and they can be really angry and have such a terrible attitude. And I look at them. Right. And I wait. And then they know. Mm -hmm. And those shoulders come down. And I say, now I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity, but what I will not tolerate, you know, Yeah. but it's taking time. You, you gotta, you gotta talk to your kids. Right. Well, because two doors down, the very same children that are destroying your classroom are excelling in another teacher's room, telling you relationships, relationships, relationships. And you think, you think they're destroying one classroom just because they don't have a good relationship with that teacher. Absolutely. Possibly? Yeah. Zero patience hasn't taken the time to get to, you know, to get to know them and really understand them. And then just wanting to issue consequences left and right versus trying to follow some type of ladder where we redirect off task or inappropriate behavior, bringing the parent in to partner with the parent, Mm -hmm. find out is that parent unemployed and she's at home crying. and, And that's why my child, the student is this way because they've been watching their mama cry for three days. Daddy left home and took all the money. I mean, you just don't know. Right. Have, have you ever, thought about talking about this at a conference? Because this is really good. Like, this is your thing. You know what you're talking about here. I really No, like but I will tell you that um, I've got to get my dissertation finished. Life has been very difficult. And I started and I had to stop and some years have gone by. But after my experience over the last five years at my current school, I've decided um, to change my dissertation topic. And I've got to focus on social emotional supports in high poverty, low performing schools. Well, I, it feels like a very comfortable area for you. You seem like, I feel like I'm, I'm listening to a preacher. You I've know? read like a lot it's, of it's, research and I've, you know, 
knee deep in it. To be honest, I've been in multiple turnaround um, situations. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had a lot of experience. Well, it's good. I I feel like we're just scratching the surface. So we're going to need to find ways to work more of this content into future episodes. But I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. It'd be Um, nice if we compared some um, a couple of different social emotional curriculums to see their effectiveness. Yeah, that would be great. Love it. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.